We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Kicks for Pace, presented by The Bear Report. Your number one source for Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Hosted by Alex Blevin and Andrew Freeman on Overtime Media. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by The Bear Report. My name is Andrew Freeman, and I'm happy to be joined by Bear Report writer Usaid Koshal. Usaid, how are we doing today? Doing well, man. You know, nice to see the uh, weather turning more winter-like, because I know the last time that we were recording this, it was like 75 degrees. So, yeah, at least we've got uh, that going for us. How about you? How are you doing? Yeah, doing good. You know, the weather is... uh... You know, it is what it is. Again, more of that bear weather that we typically see here in Chicago in mid-November, December, starting to get cold, starting to get windy. Um, you know, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to help the Bears offense anymore than it already is right now. We saw them lay another egg uh, this past week. So uh, that's a good good point to go to where, you know, when we're recording this episode, uh, we're recording Wednesday, November 18th, after the Bears took their fourth loss in a row this season, this time to the Minnesota Vikings, 19 to 13 on Monday Night Football. They're now five and five on the season, uh, just a complete downward spiral after that five and one start. And I mean, I alluded to it earlier, but it was just, there's only one thing to talk about. It was just another awful night on offense for the Bears. And, you know, I kind of, I hate to be that guy that you know is the I told you so guy but I said last week in our podcast and I kind of been repeating it over on Twitter that I really didn't think changing the play caller would matter for this offense I didn't think that was the main issue and they changed play callers going to uh, from Matt Matt Nagy to Bill Lazor the offensive coordinator and the Bears had by far their worst offensive showing of the entire season 
Uh, I just did not see anything positive in this one. Um, I don't know if, if that was because of the play calling, but uh, it certainly didn't make anything better. If anything, it made things a little bit worse. Uh, you know, for me, you said the problems on this offense, they just run a lot deeper than the plays that are being called. It's a lack of talent. It's coaching, coaching issues. It's depth at certain positions, especially the offensive line, and obviously poor quarterback play, which is going to be a huge subject, I think, for the next couple of weeks. Um, you know, what were your thoughts from that just horrific game, to, to say the least? I mean, listen, going into this, going into Monday night, we knew one of the biggest storylines was going to be Matt Nagy not calling plays for the first time in two and a half years over the time that he's essentially in the time that he's been in Chicago, because it's always been one of his biggest staples is play calling. I'm going to be the primary play caller. I was not surprised that the, so here's the thing. The first half, I thought the play calling from laser, the execution was not terrible because they ended up getting like 117 yards of offense. I think when I looked at the ESPN and the NFL.com game books on Monday night, just to cross check stats, the first half was not bad. They were executing, they were calling plays that should have been called when you have a porous offensive line. When you have a QB who's not mobile, you need to get the ball out of his hands quickly. The second half, though, is where it all fell apart. The second half was such a microcosm of essentially what this four-game skit has been. Okay, so really when we look at it, it was like first half was not terrible. Um, second half was just a complete damn mess. And we need to have more first half play calling from Bill Lazor a couple weeks here in Green Bay than we do of the second half play calling. And you you just rattled off a whole bunch of factors. I would add like execution to it too. The Bears have not been very good when it comes to executing some of these plays. Everyone just looks at the play calling and is like, okay, it didn't work. Well, part of the reason it didn't work is because guys just are not detailed detailed enough guys don't execute like take a look at that first nick Foles interception all right listen now i get some people are like oh well it was anthony miller's fault it's all anthony miller anthony miller this a mill that at the end of the day though there's one of two ways to look at it it was a bad throw because anthony miller here's the thing he has to come down with that ball but it was also a bad throw in the sense that when you saw the route that miller was running that is Foles's job to throw the ball in space and lead his guy there that's Nick Foles' job. So the ball placement was not the best either. Regardless, so Miller still got two hands on it. So it's just like poor play calling, poor execution. And then another note from Monday night, like A-Rob was visible, but kind of once the second half rolled around, I felt like he disappeared. And then Darnell Mooney, though, they just took away Darnell Mooney the entire night because they knew that, hey, listen, some way, some point, Mike Zimmer knew some, at some point in the game that they were going to try and dial up something deep. And we need to take Darnell Mooney away because once you take their deep threat away, what's going to happen is the offense just becomes so one-dimensional. And I have no idea why Ryan Nall had like a couple, got a couple snaps in the game. I actually saw Artavius Pierce show some flashes of being Tariq Cohen liked. Yeah, I, I liked what I saw from the limited snaps we saw from Artavius Pierce. Um, you know, the running back situation, they had no David Montgomery, so we saw them kind of spread it out a little bit. We saw a little bit more Cordell Patterson in this game. But, uh, you know, like you said, I felt like, especially in the second half, we saw this. Uh, the Bears' offensive line just couldn't handle anything that the Vikings were throwing at them in terms of blitzes and stunts. That Those were just giving them huge troubles all night long. And we know that Nick Foles, you know, he's a statue in the pocket. So if you get a clean rusher on him right away, 
he doesn't have the ability ability to escape and extend the play and make things happen off schedule. That's not what he does. He's an on-script player. And like you said about uh, the Anthony Miller interception, I thought that was – I tweeted this out. To me, that was 100% on Nick Foles because, like you said, Anthony Miller's running in-breaking route. There's a lot of room. He got open. Nick Foles has to lead him on that play. And, when you, and you know, this is a, a common rule if you're a quarterback and you're throwing it over the middle of the field – you can't throw it high over the middle of the field because if that ball gets tipped up in the air, that's an easy interception way to happen. You know, Nick Foles, not only did he throw it high, but he threw it behind Anthony Miller. So Anthony Miller had to make this, if he was going to come down with it, it would be a fantastic catch because he had to not only go high and get off his feet to make a play, but he had to contort his body to, you know, go against his momentum, going to the inside of the field and go against his body basically to make that catch. And that's just, I mean, that's just not going to happen. <laughs> so uh, just a tough play overall by, you know, those two there. And that it really set the tone, I think, for this game on the offensive side of the ball. But, I mean, literally, when you look at the second half, all their drives, three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out. They just didn't get anything going on offense, offensively in the second half. And that sucks because the defense played a pretty solid game, I thought, overall. Um, it was clear that their entire game plan was stopping Dalvin Cook. And other than a couple big runs late when Akeem Hicks went down with an injury, which we'll be monitoring over the next couple of weeks. But other than that, I mean, they shut down Dalvin Cook for the majority of this game. They got a couple turnovers. They set up the Bears with short fields. And they just – the offense just couldn't capitalize on it. And the biggest thing going forward is we'll see what happens at quarterback because Nick Foles, he got injured late on their last drive of the game. You know, they have the bye week coming up. And we'll see if they make a, ch a change at quarterback to go back to um, Mitch Trubisky at some point this season. You know, at this point with the offense as it is, I don't think it would hurt at this point because really there just isn't a big difference between either quarterback. And I think that's a good point to, you know, kind of looking at this thing big picture. Uh, the Bears have to start looking to the future. And, and even though I think they're going to try their best to try and get into a, you know, sneak into the playoffs, I think, you know, that's where our focus will be in this episode in terms of looking towards the future for this team and seeing where they're at for 2021 and beyond. Uh, you know, we'll also discuss some of the other top players when we're looking at college football that have opted out this college football season to prepare for the NFL draft. So getting a good preview for some of those big names there. And we'll take a look at the Michigan football program, which has also been in the headlines quite a bit after another loss for Jim Harbaugh's team over there. So a lot of stuff to get to, but before we get to that, I think it's a good time to talk about our sponsor for today's episode, MyBookie. Between the NFL and college football, there's no shortage of games to watch right now on Saturdays and Sundays. With thousands of lines available on all your favorite sports and events, you can turn your game day into payday with MyBookie. If you're the type of guy who likes to back the big favorites, consider putting a couple in a parlay for a much bigger payout. Not only do parlays make meaningless games exciting, but more importantly, they give you a chance to turn ordinary bets into a real moneymaker. And don't forget the underdogs. They have a ton of value as well. The thing about the NFL is that underdogs are never really dogs on Sunday. Every team truly has a chance to win, and now you do too. Game spreads, championship futures, and player prop bets, it's never too late to get in on the action and start turning your sports knowledge into actual cash for your wallet. Sign up at MyBookie, and when you do, use our promo code OVERTIME 
to claim a deposit match dollar for dollar all the way up to a thousand bucks. It's a bonus designed to give you a little help and a head start on your winning season. That's promo code OVERTIME for you to claim your bonus when you make your deposit. Sign up today to begin your winning season exclusively at MyBookie. All right, you said, uh, let's get right into this here, talking about the Bears and their future outlook when it looks at 2021 and, and beyond. And, you know, <laughs> it isn't good to say the least. When you look at the Bears overall with this roster and how it's constructed and the way contracts are structured over the next couple of years, uh, you're going to notice a couple of things. They don't have an answer at quarterback, both in the short term and long term. They have limited cap space next season. They have an aging defense with a lot of expensive contracts there. And now they're just now starting to get back to neutral with their draft picks in terms of having first and second and third round picks, all that stuff. And when you consider, you know, how this season is starting to look with the possibility that they're going to miss the playoffs, uh, you know, the Bears might be looking for a new GM and a new head coach as well, depending on how they finish this season. So, uh, you said, I just want to get your quick thoughts there on, you know, how you look at this team going forward and what they need to do to, you know, kind of save this thing long-term. So it's real different right now because I mean, the rebuild, the rebuild retooling, whatever's going to happen next off season. And what I believe is I do think that they will enter a full seal rebuild because this is a team that just has too many holes. You can't retool this upcoming off season and expect to be in contention for 2021, just because they have so many needs, but number one, they need to infuse a defensive side of the ball with talent. Cause like you said, Kyle, it's hard to believe that just three, four years ago, this was one of the youngest defenses in the league. Right. And they had just added Khalil Mack, but Akeem Hicks is getting older. Khalil Mack's not getting older. Your best player on defense right now is Roquan Smith. Who's 23 years old. All right. Tashawn Gibson's getting older. Eddie Jackson's getting older, but you need to infuse a defensive side of the ball. And then you need to overhaul the offensive line as well next off season, because listen, Nick Foles is going to be here financially. It just makes no sense for them to move on from him. Unless you're throwing all your money at Dak Prescott, who may or may not be available in 2021 free agency. Nick Foles is likely your starter for 2021. Mitch Trubisky, even if he leads the Bears to a 6-0 and record over the final six games of the season, I do not foresee him being back because, let's be honest, if the Bears still believed in Trubisky, he would be the starter right now. Nick Foles would not, right? And then the last and final thing is that maybe this offseason, a lot of people are like, okay, you have Trevor Lawrence, you have Justin Fields, you have Zach Wilson and Trey Lance. What if you're not picking high enough for all four of those? Because teams are going to overdraft quarterbacks all the time because they're so desperate to finally get the position right. And that just begs to differ. Maybe the best thing for the Bears to do this upcoming offseason, whether Ryan Pace is at the helm or someone else's, maybe the best thing to do is use 2021 to overhaul the roster, build it up, and then go ahead and select a quarterback in 2022. Because I know I think Jaden Daniels and Sam Howell are going to be your first and second QB1 and QB2, Kedvin Slovis as well from USC. Those are going to be a couple of names to keep on for the 2022 NFL draft. So maybe the best thing to do is just for the sake of long-term stability, overhaul the roster in 2021. Do not select a quarterback. Just give Nick Foles one last shot. Keep Foles as a bridge for the 2022 season, but draft a QB in the spring of 2022 so that quarterback can walk into a stable situation. Because as far as I'm concerned, you could argue that the Bears took 
a quarterback with Trubisky, right? They took him a year too early because that 2017 team still had a lot of holes. And we've seen that the best QBs in this league are the ones that have, they walk into a stable situation, but they also have a really good roster built around them, especially on offense. Yeah, and I'll even uh, include Spencer Rattler from uh, Oklahoma in that quarterback conversation as well for 2022. So a lot of young guys to keep in mind for the future there. But I'm kind of in agreement with you on the quarterback situation. You know, I feel like, obviously, if somebody falls to them in the draft, I think they should take their chance on a quarterback. But that's likely not going to happen unless they have a complete collapse the rest of this year. And we see them only win five or six games. Um, Besides that scenario, I don't think they're going to be in a position to draft one of these guys high. And I don't think they're in a position to where they can afford to trade up for somebody uh, and give up even more valuable draft capital. Like you said, there are a bunch of issues on this roster. They have to reload at a couple of key positions. They have to get better on offense. Uh, They have to get younger on defense. There's a lot of different issues with this team that need to be fixed. So maybe focusing on getting more draft capital going forward and, you know, getting younger and filling up the roster with more depth would be a little bit more advantageous and building up the offensive line as well, because that was a huge issue this past season. Uh, Really the last two years with the bears has been their offensive line. So getting that fixed and getting some actual, you know, high end talent there would be a huge plus, I think. And then you can add a quarterback, put him in an advantageous situation for him. All that makes sense to me. Uh, You know, for me, the bears, they need to be sellers, I think, in this offseason, especially on the defensive side of the ball. You know, when I look at some of the contracts they have here, you know, there's a lot of guys that are expensive, and there's still a great defense and all, but, you know, we've seen this time and time again in the NFL, especially over the last decade or so, that defenses, you know, don't translate to long-term success. Maybe you'll have that great defense um, that – you know, breaks out for a season, but over the long haul, it's offense that wins you games year after year after year after year. And the Bears, they've invested, I think, more than any other team over the past couple of years on the defensive side of the ball. And that's starting to, you know, that's starting to hurt them a little bit because they haven't had the amount of resources to address the offensive side of the ball. And we've seen that be a huge issue for them this past season where the offense has completely fallen off of a cliff. So for me, if I'm going into this offseason, whoever's the GM, I'd assume that they're probably going to move on from Ryan Pace and let the next GM decide what he wants to do with Matt Nagy. You know, maybe you give him another year. Maybe you don't. I, I'm kind of indifferent on that. But in terms of the roster, the two names I'm looking at here are Akeem Hicks and Kyle Fuller. I think those are the two guys that you could probably get the most value out of. And they're both on expiring deals. Um, going to 2021. So those are contracts that can easily be moved. There's not a lot of dead cap for them. And they provide a lot of value because they're players that are still playing at a high level. So I think the Bears, not only would that save them about 25 million in cap space, but uh, you know they could probably net them two mid-round picks. I'm looking at fourth, fifth round picks when I'm looking at Akeem Hicks and for Kyle Fuller, maybe a fourth or a third, uh, depending on you know where he goes to and how teams value cornerbacks in this league. So Uh, that could be very advantageous for them. And as much as I'd love to keep them long-term, I think trading Allen Robinson uh, could be a good move as well when you look at the offensive side of the ball, because um, to me, it just, it doesn't make sense for them to be paying top dollar when they aren't going to be contenders going forward. They don't have their quarterback. 
uh, of the future here? You know, what's really the foundation that they have on offense? Do you really want to pay a guy, a wide receiver like Allen Robinson, 18 to $20 million a year uh, when you have so many other needs on the roster? Um, so I think that's something to consider, and especially with this upcoming class of wide receivers in this draft being as loaded as it is. I think you could reload and maybe get one or two wide receivers in this class and maybe see if they can replace that production. And you still have some other young guys in the roster as well. You have Darnell Mooney, you have Anthony Miller, you have Riley Ridley, you know, maybe give those young guys a shot and see what happens. But, it, you know, when you look at a trade of Allen Robinson, obviously you have to franchise tag him and then trade him from there, um, which is not impossible to do. You know, if not a first, I think the Bears could probably get a day, a day two pick and some additional um, day three picks or maybe some, you know, lower level role players to maybe fill out the rest of the roster on. Um, that would be a good way to save some money, get some more draft capital and, and reinvest those draft assets, you know, on the offensive side of the ball and use that cap space to kind of roll over into next season. Yeah, definitely. And you, you, here's the thing. So the bears are kind of lucky going into next year in the sense that the draft first things first, we all know is where you build NFL teams. You don't do it through free agency. The bears are lucky in the sense that a lot of the needs that they have like offensive line, such as wide receiver could potentially become a need with what you're doing. Depends on what happens with the Allen Robinson situation. QB is another one. All right. Um, defensive line, certainly another one to keep in mind, right? The bears are lucky in the sense that this is a strong year for a lot of those. It's going to be a strong draft for offensive line, for wide receiver, et cetera. A lot of those other positions you mentioned, I mean, you are going to have to look into getting rid of, I get some guys like Akeem Hicks and Kyle Foley. These guys have become cornerstones of your defense. They are fan favorites. They're going to be talked about forever in Chicago, at least for this generation of Bears fans. But you need to move on from one of them because at the end of the day, you don't do what's best for Akeem Hicks or Kyle Foley. You do what's best for the Chicago Bears. And if it means unloading some of these players to get a franchise quarterback, to address the offensive line so that Nick Foles can at least be effective, that's what you need to do. And then just looking at the GM situation, let's just say theoretically Ryan Pace is fired. It's very difficult to find a head coach and a GM in the same offseason because what happens is you spend January hiring your you spend the first like two and a half weeks of January hiring finding a GM interviewing guys the quality head coaches at that point are already off the market they're off the market within the first 10 days of January all right Nagy was the first head coach hired in 2018 yeah the Colts got the diamond in the rough from Frank Reich but the Bears there's no way they're going to be able to move on from Pace and Nagy in the same offseason I think what needs to happen is if you decide to move on from one or the other you have to go towards Ryan Pace and why Ryan Pace because Matt Nagy's not the guy that paid Rob Quinn 70 million over five years Matt Nagy's not the guy that reached for Jimmy Graham in free agency because Jimmy Graham would have been around in the second wave of free agency just because an older vet like him should not be making 16 million all right Matt Nagy's not the one that traded two-thirds and a fourth to trade at one spot to grab Mitch Trubisky so if you're firing Pace or Nagy this offseason but you can only fire one because people are already talking about it. You go with pace because then you're telling the new GM, Hey, you have 2021 lay out your long-term vision for what you want this team to look like. And you decide what needs to be done with Nagy. That's just what it comes down to. Yeah. Maybe one more year to evaluate Nagy is something that, you know, could be, be advantageous if they go to a new regime with their GM, whether they want to move on from him or keep him long-term. Uh, that's something that could be up in the air, but you know, I like what you said about building up the offensive line, though, especially with this draft being as strong as it is, because, you know, when I look at my 
you know, perceive the draft strategy at this stage of things. And we have a long way to go before we, you know, even get to that point in terms of formulating an a, a tr- actual strategy for the draft without free agency and all that stuff. But obviously we talked about it. Quarterback is the obvious biggest need for this team. But if one isn't there, like we've said before, this offense needs a, you know, in general needs a major overhaul. And that starts with the offensive line. So I think if I'm the new GM or if I'm Ryan Pace, whether he's here or not, I'm investing in the offensive line early, especially at offensive tackle. Look at guys like Alex Leatherwood, Samuel Cosme, you know, Eichenberg from Notre Dame. We talked about, you know, a bunch of guys, um, Darisaw even, uh, that we talked about last week as well. He's a, a very good uh, offensive tackle prospect. A lot of guys to target here in the first round uh, that could be playing right away. Remember, they have Charles Leno and Bobby Massey both under contract, but they could save some significant cap space by moving on from one of those guys as well next season. So that's where it becomes, you know, advantageous then to invest in that off to tackle early. Uh, they also need to get more explosive playmakers. They don't have anybody on this roster other than Darnell Mooney, really, that can really create something out of nothing and get big plays for this offense because explosive plays, that is what leads to offensive success in the NFL. You know, and the Bears just have not been good at it over the past few years. So, and, you know, even if they do miss out on a quarterback, they had to take at least one flyer on a guy in the draft. I, I assume like a fourth or fifth round pick on a flyer uh, for a quarterback prospect just to develop and add some more youth to the room because, you know, it, it looks like Foles is going to be that bridge guy that we talked about. But, I mean, how much upside does a guy like Foles have for an entire season. We know with his injury history that you can't trust him to stay healthy for an entire season. You know, the Bears are going to have to bring in some competition for Foles this next offseason with a veteran, and they're going to need to bring in another young guy in there to at least have something something to develop on the roster. Um, maybe if he's, if he's not a starter, maybe just to have a, a backup long-term because having that quarterback position figured out, that's the most important thing. And they, that's just something that the Bears organization hasn't figured out for pretty much forever. They haven't, you know, figured out that you just, you need to have that quarterback room, right? Otherwise, what else you do with the rest of the roster doesn't really matter as much. Yeah. And the QB position obviously is going to be really watched because, you know, Nick Foles is going to be here in 2021, but there's going to be more new faces in the room. All right. Tyler Bray is going to return just because he's at this point, Tyler Bray is just the guy who's real, does real well with practice squad and scout team stuff, which is why he's coming back. But at the end of the day, it's just like, you're going to have to overhaul that. You you need to go into the off season with at least a good QB two and a QB three. I would even argue having carrying four quarterbacks on your um, team next year and not on the active roster, but just having like Foles and then, you know, two other guys, QB two and three active and then having, um, you know, Bray running the, uh, having Tyler Bray run the scout team. So they need to figure a quarterback out. In regards to offensive line, I know they have some young pieces and guys like Alex Spars. Alex Spars has shown flashes of being a solid lineman in this league from this very limited sample size that we've seen, which I think Alex Spars just snaps wise. He's not even played a full game yet, I believe, or he might've done so. Yeah, his first full game was against the Titans, but 
the point is is that they have some young pieces like Alex Suarez is perhaps the youngest one that comes to mind. We're still waiting for James Daniels to reach that potential. I really think that if Barz develops the way that a lot of people expect him to, the way that a lot of Notre, these Notre Dame guys do develop once they get to the NFL, if James Daniels reaches his full ceiling, you know what? The interior of your line is set. All right, Jermaine Fetty was brought in on a cheap one-year deal, but he's probably not going to be back just because his technique's terrible. He misses assignments all over the place. On the outside, it might make sense for you to draft a day three guy, a day two, day three guy, have him sit behind Charles Leno for a year because I really think at this point, like Bobby Massey's basically out for another month or so. He, I do not foresee him returning. They can move on from him very easily this offseason. I think that left tackle next year is probably going to be Leno because Pro Football Focus graded him as like the highest rated um or the best rate offensive player for the bears. Leno, I think is going to be here in 2021. Cause he's got a couple of void years on his contract. The last time I checked Massey's the one that's got to go because it's very difficult to find two starting caliber offensive tackles in the same off season. Yeah. And it wouldn't surprise me to see them keep both of those guys until the draft, because like you said, I mean, offensive tackle with the way it is in the NFL right now, it's tough to find these guys. And when you do have them, especially on the type of contracts that they have Leno and Bobby Massey on where they're pretty cheap deals overall. Uh, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to move on and not replace them with something concrete. And I think if they move them off from those guys in the off season, that's what they would be doing. So, uh, but they do, they do need to invest a high pick in an offensive tackle and develop that guy and get him out there on the field at some point, because they need to get younger there off the tackles. Once they get to a certain age, they really start to, you know, decline unless you're Andrew Whitworth on on the on the Rams, who is just an ageless wonder, it seems like. But you know, these tackles they get to a certain point and then their productivity just falls off a cliff, and you have to prepare for that point because those both those guys, Leno and Massey, they're starting to get to that point. Especially Massey, he's he's above the age of thirty right now, and you know, neither of them are nothing more than average tackles. So they have to get better there, and you know. If they can do that, I think they'll set them up for success going forward. I think their defense, even if they move on from a couple of guys uh, in this offseason, I still think they're going to be pretty good long-term. I still think, you know, Cleo Mack, he's still got a lot of years left. Eddie Jackson, he's still got a lot of years left. Roquan Smith is playing unbelievable right now. And he's definitely going to be someone that has a lot of years left. You know, Jalen Johnson, you know, there's still a bunch of talent on this defense, even if you move on from guys like Hicks and Fuller. And you can find ways to replace those guys even with some talent. So I'm not worried about the defense long-term. I think they'll be good. Um, you know, it's the bears. They're always good at defense. Um, so the biggest thing is how can we fix this offense? How can we set that up that foundation for success? And, you know, how can we figure out this quarterback position going forward? Those are going to be some of the main things they need to figure out this off season. All right, enough of the bears. We're going to move on to uh, some more college football storylines shifting towards college football players, um, some of the opt-out guys, uh, some of the big-name guys that aren't playing this year that we should be keeping an eye on for the draft. So we'll get to that next. But first, we're going to take our first break of the show with a word from our sponsor. Every day can bring changes, challenges, and opportunities that can also change your personal or business financial goals and priorities. As a true partner, Sandy Spring Bank can make it all a bit easier. Someone who really listens, understands, and then creates solutions in hard times and good times. We'll always strive to be your advocate, 
today and every day. That's real banking for real life and real business. Visit sandyspringbank.com slash real, member FDIC. And we're back here at Picks for Pace going over some of the top names of players that have opted out this season that you know we'll be seeing in the pre-draft process when it comes to next spring going into the NFL draft. Uh, you say it, I'll start with you. Who's one player that you're really looking forward to seeing when it comes to the combine and the senior bowl and all of the stuff that's going to be coming up uh, in the next co- coming months after the season's over. So one guy for me would be Jamie Newman. And it's interesting because going into the year, a lot of people going into the college football year, and this was before a lot of the games were canceled. A lot of people had Jamie Newman as potentially being quarterback four in this class. Now his season obviously has been canceled. I believe he got a senior bowl invite or he might've opted out, whichever one of the two, but regardless, he's not playing football this year, but he's still an intriguing name because we just discussed that the bears need to have at least some young guys behind Nick Foles to at least develop, even if you're going to flip these guys for mid-round picks, like what um, the Patriots do all the time. I mean, they did it with Garoppolo. They did it with Jacoby Brissett too. But Jamie Newman's interesting because he is a pretty decent athlete. There is some mobility there. So good pocket mobility too, right? Um, Able to scramble to go ahead and get the first down. And then he's really tough and physical. He's got really good arm strength as well. Actually, I'd say great arm strength to the point where, yeah, you can rely on him to be able to make plays in a Matt Nagy-type offense. When I look at it, the deal is this, right, is he's really strong in that short and intermediate area passing game from a lot of the film I've watched. And I think when we look now at a lot of the playmakers that this team has, I mean, listen, Newman's not going to be – the one who's chucking the ball up for 60 yards downfield, letting Darnell Mooney go up and get it. No, he's going to be the guy that's going to throw a 15, 20 yard completion and then let his playmakers go ahead and make the rest of the play. So Newman's one really intriguing name to keep an eye on. I know, I do think he will be in mobile. So he's going to be one of the quarterback prospects to definitely keep an eye on down there because he's not going to go day one, but he is still, I don't, he's not going day two either because no season means you're not going to be picked in the second round. The second round is going to be for guys like Mac Jones and Kyle Trask, but I would definitely say he's an intriguing third, fourth, fifth round option to keep an eye on. Yeah. Newman's interesting because uh, he's one of those guys that you can obviously that he's a lot of talent to work with, but it was just tough, especially for me uh, personally to evaluate him uh, because he was playing in such a just weird offense at Vanderbilt. I think it was where he was playing last and I'm, he just it, it, not even close to a pro style offense and what he'd be asked to do in the NFL in terms of making full field reads and um, going under center and doing all that stuff. Just a lot of wacky stuff that they do there. Um, very basic, you know, basically is that their offense was a lot of read option and, and just chucking out the Sage Surratt. Uh, nothing really uh, advanced, I think, for him to work with there. And like you said, he, not playing for a year, that's going to drop his stock a little bit. Maybe he raises that a bit at the Senior Bowl and during the uh, the combine and stuff like that. But I agree, he's an intriguing guy to look at on day three. I wouldn't pick him any earlier than that, even though he does have some talent. Um, there's just a lot of questions with him just because of, you know, the questionable offense and the lack of tape this past season. Uh, for me, I'm going to go with an established guy that has gotten a lot of hype. Uh, since last season even, and that's Jamar Chase, wide receiver out of LSU. Uh, For a lot of people, he's the best wide receiver going into this draft. He had 84 receptions 
over 1,700 yards in 2019 and 20 touchdowns that season as well. Um, helped out a lot by playing with a guy like Joe Burrow, to see, you know, definitely. But uh, he's a, he has a lot of talent as well. He's definitely a guy that could be a elite playmaker at the next level. Uh, he may be he may be not the most explosive guy or the most natural separator, but he has everything you look for in a number one wide receiver for these NFL teams. He's got good size. He's an efficient route runner. Great ball skills. And he makes a lot of tough contested catches with ease. So he's somebody kind of similar to an Allen Robinson, who if he can get that that route running as crisp as Robinson's is, uh, I mean, it's a true number one guy, great threat in the red zone, makes a lot of plays on third down, exactly what you want to see. Um, and we look at this past season for him, it really made no sense for him to play this year, given LSU's quarterback situation. Obviously anybody from, you know, on that roster, it's going to be a huge downgrade compared to Joe Burrow. So that may have been a good reason for him to not play, especially even with COVID going on as well. You know, with the way other wide receivers have played this year, it wouldn't surprise me to see him maybe drop a little bit in the first round because other guys may excite some teams a little bit more with recency bias. But um, if he does, I think if the Bears are in a position to draft him, uh, it wouldn't be surprised. It wouldn't surprise me one bit for them to go after a guy like him because, if especially if they're moving on from Allen Robinson, I mean he's kind of like a perfect replacement. I think long term in terms of the skill sets there. Yeah, Jamar Chase going into the year was my wide receiver one, regardless of whether he was going to play or not. But I think that he's definitely got. I mean, Jalen Waddle, I know, is out for the year, but Devontae Smith, I think some people argue he could be wide receiver one. But yeah, Chase is, I think, going to be, Chase is still going to be the first wide receiver selected off the board just because he's that good of a prospect, right? And I think that when you do look at LSU this year, yeah, obviously having that historic offense that they had last year helped. But I think that certain people will be like, well, what if X, Y, and Z player was a product of all the talent? No, Jamar Chase, though, was not one of those guys. Jamar Chase was legit, right? And I think that, um, you know, going forward, like he's really gonna, we know his stock is really high, but I think really a strong combine from him strong, like the top 30 visits, I believe that a lot of teams have, is they're allowed to bring in like 30 individual prospects to facilities. We don't know how that's going to go with coronavirus still being around, but Jamar Chase is one guy that I think with a strong combine, strong pre-draft interviews, he can really solidify himself as wide receiver one for the spring. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then you have a couple of defensive players to talk about here. Uh, who's one Who's one of those guys that you think uh, could be on teams' radars, especially early in this draft? So early in this draft, you mentioned it. I really think because of the way that NFL offenses are changing, we mentioned this with Roquan Smith last week, it's going to be Penn State's Micah Parsons because he's by far the best defensive player in this class, the best front seven player too. What I like about Parsons is you can put him at middle linebacker. You can put him at edge rusher. He reminds me a bit of like Roquan Smith light kind of coming out of um, Penn state when he eventually does declare. So Parsons is one of those names that has a really high motor. He's always going to be a guy that's going to be wherever the football is. So he's one guy that I think right now looking at it, he's not going to be in the bears range. He is going to be a top 10 pick at most in this spring, just because, 
we've seen a value of having good middle linebacker play. It tends to transform a defense and transcend, take that defense to another level a lot more than people think. So that's why Parsons will be the first defensive player selected off the board. And one guy that I really wanted to watch for his final year at Penn State, but unfortunately opted out because of coronavirus. Yeah, Parsons is interesting. One name here that might be a little bit interesting here for comparison is uh, Dante Hightower, uh, the Patriots. Kind of reminds me of him a little bit, obviously a bit better, <laughs> not a bit better, but a better athlete, I think, than Hightower was coming out of college. But they're kind of similar players. And you talk about that edge linebacker hybrid. That's kind of what Hightower has done for the Patriots defense. You know, on a lot of early downs, he's on the edge, sets the edge very well, very strong at the point of attack, can blitz a little bit off the edge but you can also play that off-ball middle linebacker role as well. Uh, you know, drop back in coverage, play sideline to sideline, do all those things, attack downhill. Um, I think Parsons, I think he's a perfect fit for some of those uh, Bill Belichickian-like defenses like we see in New England, like we see in Miami that like their linebackers to be a bit hybrid and do a lot of multiple different things. So he's a very intriguing prospect. He's very fun to watch. For me, he's clearly the top linebacker in, in this class and, just brings a lot to the table for defenses going forward. Uh, I'm going to stick on the defensive side of the ball for my guy, and that has to be Javon Holland, safety out of Oregon. Uh, he's kind of like a jack-of-all-trades type of safety that you're looking for. You know, he can cover in the slot. He can play a little bit in the box, and he can even do a little bit of single-high stuff as well, although that's probably not his best uh, attribute, best position. He's probably best used as a slot defender where he can cover guys, you know, wide receivers and tight ends there, drop back in coverage, play a little bit of man coverage, splits off the edge, all those type of things. Uh, Holland, you know, when I look at him, he's got exceptional instincts and playmaking ability. Uh, in his two years as a starter at Oregon, he had 10 pass deflections and nine interceptions, so great ball production right there. And he has experience as a returner as well. He had 17 punt returns in his career, and he averaged 15.3 yards uh, per return. So he's got some playmaking ability once the ball is in his hands as well. Um, you know, when you look at his draft stock, it's very interesting because I think scouts are going to question his upside a little bit because he is not the greatest athlete in the world. He's kind of has average size. I think he's six foot one, 200 pounds. So, you know, there are some question marks there about whether he's a first round pick, but if he falls out of the first, which I think is very likely, he's a very intriguing player to watch because he just brings a lot to the table. Um, I wouldn't say he's as good as the honey badger Tyron Matthew as a prospect when he was coming out of LSU, but he reminds me in many ways to Matthew in terms of being that versatile chess piece in the slot as a safety that can kind of do a variety of different things. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Javon Holland, you know, another guy that going into the year was one of the top rated prospects at his position. I'm excited to watch. I'm excited to see what he does in the spring as well, just over the next throughout that entire pre-draft process, because I do believe that this year safeties are not being talked about enough in this draft, right? Because of all the attention that the quarterback situation is getting of all, of all the attention that the quarterbacks are getting of all the attention that the wide receivers and the offensive linemen are getting. But with that said, there are going to be teams that do need capable safeties to play on the back end. And Holland's certainly one of them that I think 
if he's not selected in the first round, someone's going to get a steal in the second round, similar to like Xavier McKinney last year. Cause a lot of people had McKinney from Alabama pegged as a mid to late first round pick. What happens? He falls all the way to the 36th overall pick. Now another safety to keep an eye on that. I think in any other draft would likely have been in first round conversation, but is not is your guy, Paris Ford. And really what I like about um, Paris Ford, right. Is that this is, this is a guy that, you can consider him to be like one that sets the tone for your entire defense. So that's essentially going to be someone that guys rally behind. He's really urgent when getting after the football. And then he just, what I like about him is just the high motor he has, right? Because he's never going to assume that, okay, one of my teammates is going to make the play for me. We've seen a lot of safeties in this league when they do feel like one of their teammates, like a linebacker or a cornerback, someone on that second level ends up get bringing the ball carrier down. They're like, you know what? I'm not going to get in there, get into that dog pile, deliver the extra hit. Paris Ford's not that type of guy. So Paris Ford is one that when I saw he opted out a couple of weeks ago, I was like, dang it, I'm not going to get to see him in pads until he eventually does get to the NFL. But really one of those dark horse names to keep an eye on that could significantly raise his stock and shake up draft boards throughout the spring. Now, in terms of do I think the Bears should draft him, Probably not because safety, if you draft a guy like a Holland or a Paris Ford, that's basically a luxury pick, right? And you have far bigger needs to Sean Gibson. I would be content with bringing back on another one year deal for 2021, but the bears are not going to draft the safety high just because it's not that big of a need. Yeah. Agreed there. Safety is just not in the cards right now for the bears to draft high. They have Eddie Jackson there. They can put a replacement level starter besides him and get good production out of him like we've seen. But I agree, though. I, I have nothing but good things to say for Paris Ford. He's one of my favorite players in this draft class. Uh, moving on to my last guy here, I'm going to go with Jay Tufele, defensive lineman out of USC. You know, we talked about the Bears possibly moving on from Akeem Hicks this upcoming offseason. Well, if they do, would do that, Tufele could be a great replacement, I think, for him. And I, I look at him physically, he's six foot three. 315 pounds so this guy has the ideal size he has length he has power and he's explosive so those are all the elements that you're looking for for a top tier interior pass rusher and you know I think he was a guy when I looked at his tape from last season he flashed a bunch he had 41 tackles five and a half tackles for loss and three and a half sacks uh you know not outstanding production, but the flashes were exciting to watch nonetheless. Uh, he plays the run pretty well, I'd say, generally. And when he puts it all together in terms of his pass rush, uh, it's very exciting and fun to watch. Uh, he's a guy that has the ability to get off the ball fast. He has that power to bull rush people into the, into the backfield. Uh, but he's going to have to you know, develop some more counter moves, I think, to kind of maximize his ability. He, his pass rush skill set is just a bit too raw as of right now when I look at him. So, you know, when I look at him long-term and going into this draft, I think he was someone that needed this upcoming season to kind of solidify his draft stock because he did have a lot to work on. But there are a lot of teams out there that are going to be, you know, really excited about his potential. Uh, and, you know, even though he may need a year or two to kind of develop, I think that could be um, something that the Bears could look for if they want to replace Akeem Hicks and get him maybe, say, on day two of the draft. Because it's very possible he goes round one. He has that type of ability. But it just depends on you know how he performs in the pre-draft prospect process and, and how teams view his tape uh, from 2019. 
Yeah, so to Philly, I hope I'm saying that correctly because I always butcher these guys' names, but he's a prospect that I really like because I think that over the summer when I was talking to just people on draft Twitter in general about who are some of the best interior defensive linemen to keep an eye on, I thought that a lot of the names that the draft Twitter community can sense, a lot of people that people were sold on were to Philly and then Florida State's Marvin Wilson as like, defensive lineman number interior defensive lineman number one and number two right unfortunately both of those guys have opted out or they're just not playing this year for because again everything's revolving around coronavirus but yeah Tufili is a guy that I would not be mad if the Bears took an eye on or I'm sorry took a chance on him like you said but then at the end of the day it's just like we have some decent guys on the defensive line right the Bears have I mean, Roy Robertson-Harris is going to be an unrestricted free agent in 2021, but if you can bring him back and you move on from Akeem Hicks, that's a bit of a victory right there for the team. I mean, Bilal Nichols has looked good. Mario Edwards Jr., who they added very late in the offseason, they're going to try and bring back. I mean, Brent Urban's been an excellent find too. So really when I look at um, the Bears in terms of defensive line leads, like it's not – and Eddie, you're getting Eddie Oldman back in 2021 too, right? So with or without Akeem Hicks, it's still a unit that's set up for success, right? And it could argue that it could turn into being one of the cheapest positional groups on the um, – on the entire roster as soon as they unload a key mix. But Tufili is a guy, it's like, if they add him, am I going to be mad? No. But then at the same time, it's just like, you know what? There are far more pressing needs. And you know, right now the Bears, they necessarily can't afford this upcoming offseason with having the salary cap hits that are coming in terms of not having the anticipated jump in cap space. I mean, if it's as low as 175, you're going to have tough decisions to make. In terms of your draft capital, you already don't have a fourth-round pick. You don't know what your compensatory picks are going to look like, so you can't really afford to spend draft capital on some of these luxury draft picks like defensive line would be one of them. Safety is another one. I mean, depending on what happens with cornerback, right? Jalen Johnson's look great this year. Let's just say you do unload Kyle Fuller. You can't spend high picks on some of these positions, especially on defense. Yep, offense, offense, offense. I, I think that's definitely the approach that the Bears should take. Again, it'll be tough to kind of pass up on some of these high-profile defensive prospects, but, you know, you never know when it comes to the Bears in the draft uh, going into the future. All right, so we're going to move on to our last topic here, talking a little bit about Michigan and their football program and what's kind of going on there as of right now. So we're going to take our final break of the show uh, with another word from our sponsor. The Old West is an iconic period of American history. I'm Chris Wimmer. Join me on the Legends of the Old West podcast to hear the true stories of lawmen like Wyatt Earp, Bass Reeves, and the Texas Rangers, outlaws like Jesse James and Butch and Sundance, and Native American battles of the Lakota, Comanche, and Apache. We use cinematic storytelling and sound design to bring these stories and many more to life. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. And we're back here at Picks for Pace, concluding this episode, looking at Jim Harbaugh's Michigan Wolverines. And I think we have to ask, you said, you know, what's next for the Michigan football program? You know, this was supposed to be a big year for Harbaugh, and he needed to put together a good season, uh, even though considering everything going on with COVID-19 and all that stuff still, uh, they had high expectations this year, and they have really disappointed uh, they lost their third straight game this past weekend in a blowout to Wisconsin, 49-11. to 11. And it looks like now that Harbaugh's future in Ann Arbor is now in jeopardy. 
Uh, you know, we look at Michigan and, and the program under him. They've been a, a program that has routinely underachieved, in my eyes at least. Uh, they just haven't been able to compete against some of the other top programs in the Big Ten. And they routinely have NFL talent all over the roster. You know, talent's not the issue. Recruiting's not the issue, except maybe at, at you know, a key positions at on the offensive side of the ball, like a quarterback. But for whatever reason, nothing's ever materialized for this team in terms of contending for a Big Ten championship or a college football playoff spot. So I think you have to wonder whether this is a good time to move on. Yeah, his future is definitely up in the air because for those of our listeners that don't know, Harbaugh was a Michigan alumni. He played there, I think, from 83 to 86. And so when he went back to Michigan, I think it was 2015 or 2016, right? One of those, it was a couple of years ago. He's been there for like three, four, five years now at this point. I guess the thought process and a lot of people at the time were saying that, hey, maybe this is the guy to get Michigan on top of the back on top of the Big Ten. Maybe this is the guy that is going to elevate this Michigan football program to the level of like Ohio State, right? Because Ohio State's still by far the best team in the Big Ten but a lot of people were thinking that and the expectations for him Harbaugh has not met those expectations and now you're looking at whoa what's next from here because the start to the 2020 season despite all the circumstances has not been what a lot of people anticipated you look at over the last couple years they produced a lot of NFL caliber talent players but at the end of the day, the program has massively underperformed. I mean, I know one year, I think it was two years ago, they were like a fringe playoff team. And I forgot who it was, but one of their offensive linemen was like, yeah, we do need, we're not holding out hope that we're out of the playoffs, but um, we know we need a lot of right things to happen, a lot of dominoes to fall in our favor. So really, it's just like the guy's fallen short of the massive expectations that were set for him. Now, in terms of, is he going to be in the NFL next year? Listen, there are already people talking about Every single year, there's one guy in college, right? And last year was Matt Rule. A couple of years before that, it was Pat Fitzgerald. Is this guy finally going to make the jump to the NFL? Matt Rule's done a phenomenal job. Jim Harbaugh, though, there are people basically saying there's chatter going on that his job market is not that lucrative, right? There are teams that are not expected to have an interest in him. I mean, I believe Harbaugh was with the Bears for a couple of years back in the 80s or 90s, right? And some people are like, hey, listen, bring him here to Chicago. He could be the best case hire for your head coach this offseason or next offseason if you do hire a head coach. I don't think he's the answer, though. Because guys that fall out, head coaches that fail in this league once, Harbaugh didn't necessarily fail with the 49ers. He took them to a Super Bowl. He built a phenomenal defense alongside Vic Fangio. The guy's a proven head coach. But at the end of the day, the way his tenure ended in San Francisco was kind of described as a power struggle. And I'm not sure Bears ownership would want to have that kind of drama going on behind the scenes while trying to rebuild a football team up. Yeah, Harbaugh's an interesting name for the Bears. You know, like you said, he, he did quarterback the Bears during the late 80s, and especially the early 90s were kind of where he got uh, the most of his uh, starts there for the Bears in that era of the team there. So it would be kind of like a homecoming of sorts uh, for him if he were to come to Chicago. But I, I agree. I don't think Harbaugh's the answer. answer. I, think he's, I think he is a good coach, and I think it's unfortunate that things haven't really worked out uh, at Michigan. Uh, I think he might just be a better fit for the NFL game in terms of his personality and the way that uh, you know, he's able to relate to older players, I think. Because um, he does seem like more of an NFL type of guy than a college guy to me because as a college 
coach, you know, your focus isn't just in the X's and O's and game planning. It's on recruiting. It's on doing all the administrative stuff. A lot of things behind the scenes that as a head coach in the NFL, you're not really responsible for doing. That's really the GM's job. So maybe if he's coaching in the NFL, that would free him up to really just focus on the football aspect of things and leave all that stuff to the GMs. But like you said, in San Francisco, uh, like you said, that, that power struggle that he had near the end of his tenure kind of made things um, ugly a little bit. And he's a, he's a type of guy that seems like a person that isn't a great long-term solution, I think, at head coach because he's more like a spark plug, I, I think, when you look at him because his personality, he's loud, he's boisterous, he, you know, he's not afraid to get into people's faces and, and make things known that he, he wants it, things done his way. That can wear on people a little bit. And maybe in, you know, in college football that works because the player turnover is so rapid every four years. But at the NFL, you have guys that are going to be in the locker room for long periods at a time. And that's not going to work as much. That's going to eventually they're going to tune out uh, that type of personality, I think, a little bit. So I think that would be an interesting hire if the Bears went that direction. But I think they need to go with, you know, someone that uh, is a little bit more innovative on the offensive side of the ball, someone that is a little bit more uh, can relate better to the younger players in this league, because like you said, they're probably going to be gearing up for a rebuild or at least a retooling soon. And that means getting a lot of young, young players in there and a lot of guys that need to develop and be here for the long haul. Right. And it's interesting because I remember when the bear back in 2010, right. I think it was 2010 or 10, 2010 or 2011, the year that the Bears lost to the Packers in the NFC Championship game, Jay Cutler had the concussion. And then Lovey got Lovey comes back in 2011, you know, gets fired in 2012. But there were rumors right around that time that the Bears were flirting around with Jim Harbaugh then. So if ownership was flirting around with him 10 years ago, messing around, kind of dipping their toes in the Jim Harbaugh waters, what's different 10 years later? 10 years later, we kind of know who he is, right? I mean, I know that what happened is the bears eventually lost out on Jim Harbaugh because he took the job at San Francisco. Right. And Vic Fangio followed him and the two followed each other to the NFL the next year, got the gig in San Francisco. But the point is, is that there were rumors floating around. I believe the tribune wrote a story on this too, that the bears had dipped their toes in Jim Harbaugh, Harbaugh waters nearly a decade ago, a decade later, it still does not make sense for you to go ahead and do so. So at the end of the day, when I look at it, the guy's not the solution to the, He's going to be, in terms of name brand and whatnot, in terms of the name Jim Harbaugh, he's appealing. But he's not the guy that's the answer. We look at these younger teams, the the way that teams are hiring coaches. Now, teams hire younger guys. Teams hire guys in their late 30s, early 40s. Look at Sean McVay. Look at Kyle Shanahan. Matt Nagy, even three years ago, I think was like 38, 39 years old when he got the Bears head coaching. You look at Matt LaFleur. The point is, is that the league is just trending towards hiring younger guys younger guys that have been in the coaching farm system for years Harbaugh's not that kind of guy look at some of these older head coaches like Vic Fangio they've gotten jobs they haven't been the most successful teams need guys you need a head coach in this league that's going to appeal to your younger players because they've grown up in an era which is just so different from what the old school NFL was which was just a hard nose straight to the grind type person that's not the NFL anymore you need to make amends the reality is that Harbaugh's not the guy for the Bears moving forward because this team is going to get younger over the next couple of years. And you don't want a guy that's going to tune players out and just shut them down immediately because we've seen like Matt Patricia did that in Detroit and look at how it's working out. All right. Joe Judge is doing that in New York. It's not necessarily working out.
Yeah, I mean, I thought I think if the Bears were planning on competing for a Super Bowl in the short term and going out going for one last hurrah with this group, maybe Harbaugh's the guy you go with because he's somebody that you know has proven success there. But again, the, the best course for this team long term is to start to retool and rebuild this roster right now, and that just is not a fit with what Harbaugh is because he's not a long term solution. He's he's a guy that's going to be like I said, spark plug here for a couple of years, get the most out of this team. And then he's going to bounce, you know, that's type, that's a type of guy he is with his personality, like I said. So it would be, I think, interesting for, you know, the media and storylines, I think if he were to come to be a head coach, but no, I, I agree long-term and just in the best interest for the bears, I think they need to look at a different direction. So with that, I think this is a good time to conclude this episode of the fix for pace podcast. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Picks for Pace. Give us a follow there. You said, where can they follow you on Twitter? Yeah, guys, you can follow me on Twitter at Usaid Colshill. Check out my work on the Bear Report, too. I know the offseason essentially seems like it's going to be coming early for the Bears this year, unless they go on a six-game win streak. So we're going to be excited, guys, to be breaking down everything in the offseason from free agency to NFL draft to scouting combine and everything in between that happens in the spring for the NFL world. Absolutely. Uh, and then you can follow me at AJ Freeman 25 on Twitter. You can also find my work on the bear report. Uh, I'm going to say it again. Uh, I, I teased this uh, last week at the end of our show, but if you haven't already, I definitely recommend that you guys check out my latest film room episode covering Roquan Smith. He had an awesome game on Monday night football. That was probably one of the very few pauses we had from that game, but uh it was a really fun video to put together. So if you guys want to get some of that, uh, you know, film room, you can take a look at what he's done this year. I definitely recommend that. Um, but I just want to say to our listeners that thank you guys once again for tuning in on all platforms. The Bears, they have their bye week coming up. So I think that'll be a good break for all parties involved, players, coaches, fans, especially uh, with the way they've played recently. But we look forward to our next episode next week, regardless. And we look forward to uh, when that time comes around again. Thanks guys for listening and bear down. Okay. Parachutes ready. Boy, the things I go through to get on all on rates as low as 0.99% APR for 60 months on new vehicles with PenFed. You are aware that you don't have to be a military member to save hundreds on your auto loan, aren't you? Anyone can join PenFed. As someone terrified of heights, I probably should have looked into that. Probably. Drop me off at the shore. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash autos or call 1-800-247-5626. Advertised rates available through the PenFed car buying service. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. 
Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.